This is R.J. Allen, and you're listening to Rough Drafts. This is the podcast where you can get a sneak peek at the early drafts of my novels before they're published. For more information, go to our website at rjallen.com. That's R-J-A-L-A-N.com. Before we continue with our regular episode, I'm honored to bring you the news that our current book, Fragments, has been nominated as a finalist to the First Impressions Contest held by the American Christian Fiction Writers. For more information about the contest or about ACFW, please visit acfw.com and check out all the other fantastic Christian authors that you can find there in the contest listings and in the Fiction Finder. That's acfw.com. And I would like to offer my heartfelt gratitude that ACFW has honored us in this way. Thank you. Season 1, Episode 10, The Seekers Series, Fragments. Chapter 6, Part 1. While Diana tried to wheedle the kids to finish their plates, the rest of the family ate their food in silence, as did Lars, but he barely tasted it. Finished, he excused himself and found his brother sitting under the porch overhang, whiskey in one hand and pipe in the other, staring into the dark. Lars leaned up against a pole. The sweet, acrid smell of the pipe tobacco tickled his nose. He scowled at his brother, drinking and smoking. The priest said these things done in moderation weren't sins, but the definition of moderation varied, seeming to match the level of indulgence practiced by the people defining it. Lars crossed his arms and tipped his face to the sky. Did the bishop show up at the mill? No. Why? He showed up at the farm with guards and inspectors. What? Leif jerked the pipe from his mouth. Why? Said he was touring the territory, but they were looking for something. Father Curtis didn't show up for a meeting. They asked if we knew where he was. Nope, didn't show up at the mill, but goons poked around more than usual. You say they canceled your small group? Was Father Curtis around? Couldn't find him there or at the rectory. Lars flashed again to the incident on the train, and the flutter of niggling worry in his diaphragm flared again. Everything's dark and locked up tight. He's probably still visiting that friend of his, or his train was delayed. He'll show up. Yeah. Lars rubbed the back of his neck and scuffed a shoe across the worn porch planks. Leif hadn't seen what he had on the train, but Leif was sinking into one of his dark, brooding moods. You let him get to you again. 
Lars settled into the splintery deck chair next to Leif's. Every time, I prepare myself to stay calm, but every single time he riles me up. My heart starts pounding and my body starts shaking and next thing you know, I'm out of control, arguing. He puffed angrily on his pipe. Like anything I'd say would make a bit of difference. He's not listening. Why do I bother? Lars laced his hands in his lap, the calluses grating against each other. I don't know. He blew out a long breath. You guys can't seem to connect. Mom says it's because you're so alike. Alike or anything but alike. Mom was right, and this was the heart of their problem. Not knowing what to say, Lars sat without speaking, simply keeping company with his agitated brother. Leif drifted deeper into his thoughts and puffed on his pipe. He took another sip of his whiskey, the only medicine that he had found that loosened the burning bands of frustration that squeezed his heart. He had begun self-medicating this way over these last few years. Lately, he started as soon as he arrived home from work, sitting on the deck, brooding and drinking alone. He knocked out his pipe. Men resent the way Dad treats them. We're not going to beat them into producing higher numbers. A great man once said that you can't push a string around a desk. You can only pull it. We're trying to push the men when we should be pulling, leading them, giving them a reason to care. You know this. Lars stretched back, locking his hands behind his head and crossing his ankles. Yeah, I know, but... What are you going to do about it? Fighting with dad will get you nowhere. Worse than nowhere. You know, the more you batter at him, the more he digs in. Leif filled his pipe, fumbling for a match, and sheltered the fragile flame from the night breeze. He puffed, watching the ember glow. Yeah, well, you got a better idea? Someone has to lead us out of this. Someone has to convince him. You can't just go along to get along. You've got to do what's right. He blew out smoke, imagining the stream from his nostrils emitting his frustration before he continued in a calmer tone. We need to make the men feel valued, part of a team. You can throw a cat over a volleyball net, but only once. We need repeatable success, and these methods aren't getting us there. Lars gripped Leif's knee, leaning into his space. The same you say of them is true of Dad. The more you beat on him, the more they'll dig in. And that was the crux, wasn't it? Leif coughed, the smoke going down the wrong way. Night sounds surrounded them. The kids laughed in the house. Then the door opened and Diana stepped out, keeping hold of the door frame. Help me get the kids ready. We got to get them to bed. With a light groan, he levered himself out of the chair and slapped Lars on the shoulder. See you in the morning, little bro. Yeah, bright and early, right? You know how dad gets. What? It gets worse than this? 
After dinner with mom and dad, Leif put the kids to bed. Diana doing her makeup and getting dressed to have a nightcap with the girls. She left him in an empty house, and he spent hours slaving away on office work. When his eyes gave out, dry and burning, he went to bed. For hours, he tossed and turned, too hot and too agitated to sleep, more disheartened as the hours ground on. At 3 a.m., the gut punch struck. A nightcap with the girls had been another lie. He flung himself from the bed and walked to the window, drawing back the filmy curtain that Mom had made. His breath fogged the glass. Moonlight slipped over his bare legs. How many nights had he lain there waiting for Diana? He didn't know who she was with this night, but he knew what she was doing. It was nothing new. He wiped the fog from the window, but could not wipe it from his mind. Why'd he make himself such a patsy? Why keep taking these soul wounds? Why not end this charade? He closed his eyes, listening to the light breathing escaping from the little mouths in the adjacent rooms. The sweet sounds were his answer. He couldn't lose them or upend their world. Diana's high heels clicked on the sidewalk and the entry door hinges squeaked. He padded barefoot down the stairs and sat in a living room chair. Furtive movements approached through the kitchen in the dark, the only light, a candle, burning in the dining room. She came around the corner into this light, high-heeled sandals held by the straps as she tiptoed into view. When she saw him, she started, then giggled. Oh, it's you. He cocked his head and crossed his arms. Who was it this time? What do you mean? She hiccuped and shrugged. I told you I was with the girls. Something about her body language, maybe the ducked head hiding defiant eyes, confirmed it. He struggled to keep his voice even. You were with Adrian. Once spoken, he knew it was true. She shook her head, but cringed like a child caught in a lie. Leif sat motionless, his vision becoming distant and glazed. A tightness pinched his forehead, the lines surely deepening between his brows. Diana said those lines were his involuntary tell. They appeared when he clamped down emotions, attempting to project stony calm. She strode into the room, sat on the armrest, and lowered her hands to his face, her shoes dropping to the floor. She smoothed those lines with soft fingers. I'm sorry. She seemed suddenly sober. I didn't mean it, it just happened. A confusion of competing passions warred within his soul. In an invisible inner battle, he jammed that bundle of emotions into a mental closet, 
locking them in, never intending to open that door again. He lurched back from her. Just happened? What, you slipped and accidentally fell into a bed and oops, there he was? Hands clamped to his cheeks, he mimicked coquettish surprise. Don't take me for a fool. We both know this is hardly the first time. Oh, it was. She ducked her head, dark hair slipping over her face as her voice dipped. And he feels even worse than I do. He loves you like a brother. He hates himself for this. She looked at him with large cow eyes and reached for his hand. He sprang to his feet, jerking his hand away. I doubt he's capable of hating himself. He's enamored with himself. He thinks it's a miracle anyone can be as wonderful as he is. She slinked to her feet, sauntered towards him, and put her hand on his cheek. He began to pull away, but her other hand held him by the back of his neck. It was nothing, and it wasn't even that great. Her tone was wheedling now. She continued, You know you're the only man I'll ever love. You know that. She peered into his eyes. But I have told you this before. You will not be the only man I sleep with. She moved her face closer to his, but he pushed her away. And I told you we're married. That means you and I don't sleep with anybody else. She shook her head and moved close to kiss him again. When he growled and turned his head away, she recaptured him, holding his face with both hands. It's not a big deal. It's only a little harmless fun. After planting a light kiss on his cheek, she stooped to gather her shoes, lifted the hem of her slit skirt, and tiptoed up the stairs. He flopped onto the couch, staring at nothing, and searched his soul for a reason to keep going on. Any reason. He fell into an exhausted, fitful sleep before he found any.